When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in Patriots Beat Podcast. John Zanis pinch hitting for Alex Barth, uh, who should be back soon. Uh, he's uh, temporarily on the shelf, but it doesn't matter as long as Evan Lazar is here to carry the conversation. What's going on, Evan? Not much, not much. Yeah, Alex is under the weather, but doing doing better. He's going to be back on Thursday, hopefully. But yeah, we're, we're, all right. Yeah, good. All good here. Thanks we're for doing for this. Him. Thanks for coming on. Yes. No, we're good. We like this. We like we we like to take a break here. We're in that kind of weird middle period of the of the off season where, um, you know, a flurry of things happen or didn't. In the case of the Patriots, didn't happen um, yeah. after the season ended. You know, they've they've certainly lost more than they've gained. Uh, and you're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. We have a Senior Bowl um, that Bill Belichick didn't feel like going to, and we have a Combine uh, where all hell is broken loose. Uh, but it he looks may like or may not be there. To be honest with you. Yeah, may or may not be there. So uh, it's. Right. I, I know this is something you guys have talked about a ton, um, and we're going to circle back to it. Bill's overall approach to his job nowadays, to me, is a really interesting topic, and I know it's been discussed, but every step along the way, there are just things that are happening, Evan, that I'm like, What's going on? You know, what's he what's he doing yeah. here? Um, and I know we've had in Bill we trust for so long, but I definitely think there's people out there who are a little bit concerned. But we'll start today's show. We're going to talk a little bit about the state of Bill and the state of the Pats for sure. We're going to definitely talk about Evan Lazar's mock draft 1.0. It is that time of year. And I am allowing us to talk about it, Evan, because you did have them take a receiver in round one, uh, which is the only mock draft that I think we're, we can talk about. Um, and yes, we'll, we'll talk about which receiver, but we're going to start with this being JC Jackson day, which is actually the first day that uh, franchise tags can be applied to players. And there's really no indication which way the Patriots are going, Evan, uh, with the franchise tag situation with signing JC long term, letting him test the market, looking for trades. It, it really is just very unclear. What do you think? We know how much they need a number one corner. I guess it comes down to is JC a number one corner? Is he worth paying? Uh, or should you try to see if you can get a haul for him? Um, first off, we'll get to what you want to do. What do you, what are you hearing? What do you feel is happening here uh, in, in regards to this situation? Well, one of my favorite reports that gets floated out there, social media on Twitter is when people act like they have any clue what the Patriots are going to do in free agency on February 22nd okay because the Patriots I can tell you I, I was texting with an agent earlier today who has a prominent free agent player on the Patriots and he said we are way too early for any conversations about what Bill is going to do in free agency the Pats are notorious for being late to the party when it comes to this sort of thing so you hear all the chatter mostly next week at the combine in Indy but even still you don't hear of Patriots chatter until the right before free agency opens. And I think with this JC Jackson thing, the talk of mutual interest potentially between the two sides 
of reaching a contract extension, every single team in the NFL has mutual interest with their own free agents. They all want to bring their own free agents back for the most part. The question really is obviously what is the price tag for the player and can they find a common ground there to sign that player to an extension or sign that player to a new contract when the league year begins. But to start off here, Nobody has any clue whatsoever if Bill Belichick is going to back up the Brinks truck for J.C. Jackson, including J.C. Jackson and his representation currently as things stand right now. So, okay, we'll put that aside. And I think it's fair. It's nobody knows. And that's how it goes uh, with the Patriots. But, uh, you know, indications here to you would be based on their cap situation, their need at the position, their need at multiple other positions. What makes sense here? So the way that I view it, and I do think that there is a lot of internal discussion about what what do we do next, right? We had a good foundational year last year, rookie quarterback. Some of the free agents that we brought in hit. Some of the draft picks that we made hit. That That's a good foundation, good building block. But 10 wins and a bounce out in the wild card round by double digits to Buffalo is not the end goal here. So what, what comes next? I think the biggest thing is that you hear it is a number one wide receiver. And that's why I gave him number one wide receiver in my mock draft. But when it comes to JC Jackson, the overwhelming thing that I can't get over for me personally, when I discuss should they do this or should they not do this? The Patriots are not in a position nowadays without the, train moving with Tom Brady where there's just doesn't seem to be anything that could get in their way, right? They couldn't let Malcolm Butler walk. They can trade Ty Law at the end of his career. They let Darrell Remus sign with the Jets for a huge contract and but nothing gets in the way of their success. What, letting talent, especially young talent, homegrown young talent like JC Jackson at 26 years old, walk out the door at this point in the rebuild really feels like putting yourself behind the eight ball in a way that you don't want to after a productive year last year. So I I look at it and I say, JC Jackson has to be on this team one way or another, either by the franchise tag or by contract extension. Obviously it behooves the Patriots to extend him and avoid the cap penalty of a franchise tag, $18 million. At any any cost though, Evan? Or is there a line in the or is there a line in the sand number? There's always a line. I, I think that when you look at a fair market deal for JC, somewhere in the eighteen million dollar per year range is what a bona fide number one corner is going for. And I don't is think he that? I don't think he's the I don't think he's the best corner in the league. He's not top five, but is he top ten, top fifteen? I mean, I don't know how many corners this, you're drafting at that yeah. point. This has Asante Samuel written all over it, you know, like in just in the same in the same vein of like he was good. He was the best they had. Um, It might not have been he might not have been worth top of the market money. But when he left, they tanked for those three, four years when they didn't have anybody back there in a revolving door of really crappy quarterbacks. And and it's very very similar. And the the guys behind him are are just. The cupboard's really bare there. It falls. The drop-off is is huge, right? Substantial. And you haven't really had a ton of luck 
in the draft at that position early in the draft, right? Juwan Williams is obviously the poster child for that now, but the first couple rounds of the draft haven't really produced great cornerback talent for you. So it's not as simple as for the Patriots. Oh, we'll just let JC Jackson walk and we'll take a corner at 21 unless somebody like Andrew Booth jr. Or sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley falls in their lap in the draft, which I, I don't think is going to happen, especially based off the way the boards are shaking out now. Unless something like that happens, it's really difficult to envision a guy like Kyler Gordon or uh, McDuffie from Washington, the two Washington DBs, or somebody like that, uh, Kair Elam from Florida, coming in and being a number one corner instantly for the Patriots. It just doesn't, those guys just don't grade out at that type of talent level. So, that's the biggest thing is what's left if you let J.C. Jackson walk and how good is J.C.? I know he's had his problems with Stephon Diggs. I think that's a fair criticism of his game right now is he's not a lockdown corner against a guy like Diggs in particular. But in a man coverage heavy scheme and a scheme that wants to be a little bit versatile, that wants to play some zone, his ability to produce on the ball, turnovers, pass breakups, low completion rate in his coverage is as good statistically as any player at that position in the entire NFL. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I believe, and I know when you're talking about cornerbacks, I believe McShay's latest had Gordon, right? Yeah. Uh, to the Patriots. You you think that that's a reach there? He's not one of the elite guys. No, it's a reach to me because I, what I look at, and this is when we get into the mock draft, we can discuss this further. Is yeah, at twenty one, I do really feel like you should be able to get a day one instant impact player, right? That's somebody that you are going to draft and you are going to put in your lineup in week one and have a great player at that spot. I'm not sure if a guy like Kyler Gordon is so pro ready and so smooth and so uh, smooth in terms of the transition from the college to the NFL game that he would just be like day one starter stud. Right. I I just have a tough time getting there Uh, with JC. A lot of corners struggle against guys like Diggs. A a lot of corners struggle against the top guys, but you have that ability every single week to put his name up on the board opposite the other number one wide receiver on the opponent and say, JC is shadowing digs this week. JC is shadowing uh, so-and-so that week, you know, it, that is sure. in this system that's when they've had the most success, whether it's Ty law or Revis or Asante Samuel for a couple of years or Malcolm Butler or JC Jackson. Yeah. As long well, as they have somebody that can hold that down, that's when they've been at their best. So there are there are a lot of bet on themselves guys, and so someone like J.C. Jackson, were he to get franchise tagged here, could theoretically say, I'm betting on myself to put up number one numbers again. And you know what? He kind of did it back-to-back seasons, uh, and this year was one where had he not had the season that he had, you'd be having a different conversation over his value right now. So he's done it, but he'd have to do it again. And so – Someone who comes in with uh, with the pedigree of an undrafted free agent, do you think there's a chance he looks at this and says, you know, I know the target is Jalen, you know, Ramsey's 20, and I know I'd be happy with 18, but man, bird in the hand right here, would I take 15 and 40 guaranteed right now, 15 per 40 guaranteed, uh, you know, over four years? Oh, you 38, whatever that number would be, and just be happy. Like, do you think they can get there? Because there is talk at least of mutual interest. Of course, yeah. that 
that really that interest only goes as far as whatever number you put forth. Right. And if that number is low in the 12, 13 range, that's going to be something that's going to be hard for him to swallow. But if you're kind of getting closer to the 15, 15, 5, 16 range, is that something both sides can live with? I, I think there's a, neat, a bridge to gap here, right? I think there's a way to bra- get a bridge to this gap with the Patriots and JC because yeah. – if you look at Bill Belichick's history of spending and free agency, right. even yeah. this past year, the one thing that I think is really critical about the way that he spends money when he does shell out that big contract is it's usually for somebody that's entering the prime of their career. He doesn't back up the Brinks truck for 30-year-old players, right? He gives big contracts out to 26-year-old players, to guys that are hitting their second contracts, guys that they feel like are ascending and the arrow is pointing upwards on their career. I still think the best football for J.C. Jackson is in front of him. I think he's improved every single year that he's been in the in the league and is going to continue to improve on his game as he hones in on study habits, things like that, against these top flight wide receivers and starts to lock them down even more consistently. So the age range that J.C. Jackson is going to be paid for by the Patriots, his age 26 through 29 season, let's call it, is exactly where Bill Belichick typically is willing to play pay market value for premium talent. This is exactly at the point of the career when they paid Stephon Gilmore, right? It's the exact same age in terms of when they stretched that out with Gilmore. So I actually think you can look at Gilmore's statistics in Buffalo for his rookie contract versus JC's with the Patriots. And JC was the better player going into the contract year than Gilmore was with the Bills. So this is the time to pay a guy like this. It's well, not explain to me, Gilmore. Explain to me this entire situation, which is one I just simply don't understand. Like, okay, if you knew, just going back, because I'm trying to figure out, and again, this kind of factors into the whole, is there a plan or is Bill just accepting whatever happens and then just dealing with that in the moment? Like, the plan. sure, now I have a plan because this happened. But like, for example, Stefan Gilmore, I don't see him getting more than 13, 14 per year in free agency over a couple of couple of years now. Would that not have been better for the Patriots to do versus having to risk losing JC in a bidding war or having to pay him up to 18, 19 million on a gamble for a guy you may or may not be certain is number one? Would not even a reduced Gilmore for two more years at 25 million, uh, whatever it would have taken to extend him and keep him happy, have him play last year? bring him back, still have the option to franchise and tag JC this year if you wanted to, has been a better long-term plan? So Gilmore wanted $16 million per year. The deal that he but was he's not at, That's fair, but he's not going to get it, and he's not going to get right. it in free agency. But I don't know if you can uh, – He might not have – right? right? So the right. Patriots, I think, would have done that deal at $13 million, $12 million, which might be what Gilmore – ends up at in free agency this year, but he was looking at that Darius Slay contract with Philadelphia. Yes. And right. 16 million is the number I want to get to. I think I'm worth that. Patriots didn't feel like he's was worth it. And what I come back to is maybe on a short-term deal, maybe on a two or three year deal. That's even really if it wasn't, even if, even if you meet his number, it still is good business because you now you have a good problem of having two guys and being able to decide what you want to do here. You've got the asset. Now you've lost all leverage. So even if it was a slight overpay, I still don't understand that move. I think the biggest thing is, is what I just said a few minutes ago, which is that they don't want to pay guys that are 
arrow pointed down. Yes. Right. Yes. They don't want to put big money in big cap number investment right. into players that are declining. They want to play guys that are either hitting their peaks right when they pay them or ascending players into their primes of their careers. That's why you get guys like Matthew Judon, who they felt was hitting his peak and was going to peak right then and there for them last year. That's why you get a contract like Johnny Smith, who hasn't worked out, but they felt like Johnny was an ascending player, that he was going to continue to get better and outproduce yep. what he Nailed produced it. in Tennessee. Didn't nail that one. JC Jackson, <laughs> I think that's a similar conversation sure. with more like Matthew Judon, right? Where you feel Look, like this guy's going to be an all pro corner for us for the next two years if we pay him this money. If they believe it, if they believe it, it's worth whatever. Because honestly, if he, if he plays like a number one corner for three years or right. four years, whatever he makes this year will be a bargain in two years. It doesn't even matter. So yes, if they believe he's a number one, it's not even a conversation. You sign him up. Uh, But if they don't, if they believe they're paying number one prices for a one, a kind of more of a complimentary corner, then that's a different story altogether. It's the Malcolm Butler conversation, Yes, right? Yes. And so the, the flip side becomes if you're the Patriots, so uh, the Patriots have, proven they will pay for people they consider to be top talent they did it for mayo when he came up they did it for mankins they've done it they paid gronk top of market if they believe in tom brady at one point in his life was a top of market they pay top top of market for the people they believe deserve it and mason whatever that is uh there's plenty of examples so if they believe it that's the only there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't pay jc because They'll pay for that. They'll pay for premium talent, especially if they have it and they feel good about it. If they don't, if they believe he's a number two in number, you know, in you know, in in in, in you know, in the wrapping of a number one with all of these stats, um, right. but someone else believes he's a number one, then you have to start thinking about yes, it might hurt us this year, but the haul I can get for this might be something I can't pass up. So I'll ask you, what's good enough? recognizing that it's going to make you worse tomorrow, what's too good to pass up if you were to get it in terms of draft capital draft capital for JC? The tough part is that you're pay, you're trading him on the tag, right? You would have to franchise tag, tag him and trade him. And yep. then trade him. The other thing that you have to look into that is that JC Jackson's going to want an extension with the team that's acquiring him. So the team is presumably that would happen. Yeah. And giving him money. It's a double entendre there, right? Yeah. It's a tough one. I think that J.C. Jackson's worth the top 50 pick. I don't think that it's worth – I don't know if it's worth the first rounder when you have the fact that you have to pay him and you have to give up the capital. I, my guess is that you would be looking at a similar trade to what they got back for Jimmy G, right? Like a, the 40th pick in the draft or 35th pick in the draft or something along those lines. I'd rather the player – it's obviously a nice consolation prize if you can't bridge the gap and you can't figure out the contract – Right. I think the only thing that you can really argue, if you want to play devil's advocate, in my opinion, and, and argue that the Patriots shouldn't do this, you're arguing that the stats are inflated, right? You're arguing that right. bad quarterback play, he's feasting on Sam Darnold's of the world. And, you know, those are the types of reason, you know, you're selling yourself on the fact that he's not actually as good as the statistical production suggests. And, and that. I don't know if that's necessarily fair to JC, no, but, no, that, no. but that's the argument to make. 
but that's I and I get both arguments. I'm just asking you if you were if you're if you're in the deal chair here and you're the one who's pulling the right. strings, what if someone else looks at JC and says that's my number one and is willing to pay up, what's what's too much to pass up if you're the Patriots when you figure this is there's tremendous value in what I'm getting back here. What what would be what would need to come back for you to say, yeah, I like him, but I gotta I gotta I gotta make this deal. First round pick, just a first. Like, because I, I, the reason I pointed out, but but Dard, for example, when you know did a chat the other day, and he said he thinks a first and third is reasonable for JC, and I thought that was extremely high. On the high. tag, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. A lot. If they can get but, that, then I, I don't hate it, right? I, I think the question that I always come or back two, to. Or two seconds, you know. Right. The question I always come back to, and this is, I think, how, you know, listening to guys like Michael Lombardi, for example, lay out how Bill Belichick thinks about these things. You have to think about if we're going to trade J.C. Jackson and we're going to get the 40th pick in the draft back and we're going to use that 40th pick in the draft to re- draft J.C. Jackson's replacement, how much worse do we project that player to be right? How much worse is Kyler Gordon than JC Jackson over the next two or three seasons? How much worse is Elam from Florida? How much worse is uh, Darian Kendrick from Georgia than JC Jackson for the 2022 and let's say 2022 through 2024. If, if a team, think about it, Evan, I, I know it seems high. If a team believes they're about to get a number one lockdown corner at the beginning of his prime, I don't think that that's a ridiculous, uh, you know, ask there. I think multiple picks, I think uh, is, is, is fair. And I think a first being yeah. involved in there is not completely unrealistic either. I think that that's, you know, that's, the price for that type of talent. The Patriots give up a low first for Brandon Cooks, for example. You know, like I know that's several years ago, but you're bringing in an established talent. And obviously, I know you have to pay him as well. But the idea is right, the difference. You're, was, the idea is you're t- you're dying to pay him. You want right, to pay him. Right. You, know, you want to lock him up. Huh. It's tough because I, I look at it and I say the best course of action for the Patriots, in my opinion, personally, I would honestly keep JC and draft a corner high, right? Like I I would love to see them pair JC Jackson with another guy that can shut it down. If they have a chance to draft Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson and pair him with JC Jackson, then I would do that in a heartbeat. I think that would be, uh, when you look at Buffalo, you look at uh, Cincinnati, you look at Kansas City, you look at the Chargers, and they're going to probably continue to rise up with Justin Herbert. You look at all these teams around the AFC, you better have coverage talent. Like You can't just let coverage talent in the AFC East nowadays walk out the door. You just, if you're going to try to c- compete with Buffalo, you can't let guys that can cover like JC Jackson can leave a- and walk out the door. It just, you're not going to win that way. And I don't think you're going to win that way drafting and replacing JC Jackson's uh, successor in with the, a 32nd pick in the draft. I just don't feel like that's going to net you enough production. You might compete. And I think you might not massive step backwards. You, you, you will. I mean, that's the whole thing. The argument against trading established talent for draft picks is you're hoping to draft a player as good as the person you just gave away. But the upshot to it is salary flexibility because you're not paying top of market for somebody as they've kind of hit their, their free agency. I'm so sick of that though, because at this point, they have Mac Jones on a rookie contract. 
So just like all these, yeah, other- you already have a huge gap there, but you, right. but you just blew a ton right. of money on stuff that's borderline you useless. But you, you can know? move the cap around, right? And you can obviously get out of contracts like Nelson Aguilar's contract's gone off the books next year. So they're gonna, I think they're gonna cut Johnu too. I think Johnny, gonna- they, well, they'd have to eat a lot of dead cap if they cut Johnny. But, but if they cut they, him after June one, I think it's only ten million. I they think can make happy. something happen with Johnu potentially. The point I'm making with the cap is that. I think that we have been sold, and this is the one thing, and I, I don't listen to his show all the time, but the one thing I agree with Michael Felger on is that <laughs> the Patriots have sold us a bag of goods about the salary cap being so strict. Of course. I believe they, in Felger's they, cap is crap, uh, you know, mentality. I don't think yes. it's crap. I think it's very easily. It can be easily. Easily. Yes. Very easily. And especially when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, if the Patriots' excuse for not paying J.C. Jackson is they don't have the cap to do it, that is absolutely bonkers. That That is yeah. as far from the truth as it could possibly be. So this boils down to if they see the value in the player lining up with the contract and they don't want to overpay the player. But if you're going to overpay Johnny Smith and you're going to overpay Nelson Aguilar and you're going to overpay some of these other guys that you did in free agency last year and then not overpay J.C. Jackson a little bit to keep him here, then I think that you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a tough one to swallow. Again, the end of the day comes down to what the whether the Patriots believe Jackson is truly a number one, in which case I believe they'll pay him, or whether they believe that he needs to get paid like a one, but he's not a one, in which case I think they look to move him. And because we don't we don't know how they view it, that's where it's gonna that's where it's gonna be um, difficult to kind of predict how this goes. I do not believe, based on everything Bill Belichick does, that he's going to look at his roster and say, if I lose a corner, I'm going to be in trouble. I think he's just going to figure it out. And if that's that, he's making a business decision, uh, you know, irrespective of his team needs at this time, because that's what it comes down to is I, I know I need it, but I'm not putting myself in a hole and I'm not paying for something I don't think is worth the money. And he'll absolutely do that. You know, we've seen that over time. Um, you know, he will not be held hostage by team needs right this or wrong this isn't peak tom brady years this is not the dynasty Patriots i'm not anymore. i don't agree with the philosophy o- operating like that is is we can't do that anymore until until mac jones hopefully ascends to mvp caliber quarterback levels right where he can carry the team on his back if they have some talent deficiencies in certain position groups in certain areas, they can't operate like that, especially in the secondary and the type of scheme that they want to play. Cause like I said, Buffalo, Kansas city, Cincinnati, these teams in the AFC that they're going to have to get through in the playoffs. If you don't have the back end second and the talent back end to compete and be able to cover all the options that these teams have, you're not winning a Super Bowl anytime soon. Yep. No, I don't disagree there. Um, And I don't think you have the luxury of kind of operating the way you did with all of those years because, you know, Tom Brady was the ultimate fail safe, of course. I want to take a second to shout out our sponsors at betonline.ag. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just 
use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination bet online the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games bet online where the game starts um i know this is uh, and based on the chat uh, alone there's obviously just a lot of interest already in the draft um yeah. because the draft show we should just call it the draft show in the offseason well but I mean, look, there's nothing better than pre-draft, right? There's endless possibility. Right. There's a million different ways you can make yourself awesome. It's a bunch of free players. So it's exciting. Um, I know, you know, again, everyone needs to go to clnsmedia.com and check out Evan Lazar's first uh, mock draft uh, of the season. We'll put the link in the chat here as well. But um, go check that out. Uh, there'll be one of many. And it is uh, a mandate that Evan has to take a receiver with one of the first two picks uh, in the draft. And again, I know I've shared it with you, Evan, but my philosophy, I, I really do think the Patriots have to take multiple stabs at receiver, not just this year, but next year and the year after they should be looking to do it two out of three picks or one year, take two in the top three picks and the next year, take one. You have to keep taking shots at that position because you can't get studs outside of those couple of rounds. It's very, very, very hard to find. And I do think they can fill a lot of other needs. That being said, are you going to pass on a Micah Parsons type at linebacker when you desperately need that as well? No, if there's a game-changing talent. But I do believe when they get to 21, if that's where they're picking from, I do believe they should pick based off of need and they should pick based off of this kind of opportunity cost. It is hard to find these guys. So you have one. Uh, and I want to ask two things. Not only want to talk about the player, um, I want to talk about who else went ahead of this player at this position. Now, you've taken from Ohio State, Chris Olave, um, at pick number 21, who you like a lot. Olave. Olave. You say Olave, I say Olave. <laughs> the, tell me all about it. Well, first of all, who goes in front of him? And like okay. who was off the board that they couldn't get in your mind? So, I, I want to talk about the methodology in general because I try to do what the Patriot, what I think the Patriots do, just from talking and reading all about the Patriots draft strategy, which is you got to put players in clusters or in tiers, right? They, what they do is they rank the board and they say, okay, we can draft Chris Olave in the first round at twenty-one. Or we can get George Pickens out of Georgia at 54, which is that a significant drop off? Are we talking about going from a day one instant contributor to maybe a developmental two, three years down the road type of prospect? Or do we think that that gap is reasonable? That it's, it's like the Mac Jones, David Mills conversation from last year, you know, same thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's Mac Jones, Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, uh, all those guys that went in the back end of the, of the second round last year, Kyle Trask, they felt like Mac Jones was substantially a good bit better than those players. So they took Mac at 15. When I look at Olave and I look at the Patriots needs for that top number one wide receiver, the Patriots don't need depth at wide receiver. The Patriots have depth 
players at wide receiver. They got Kendrick Bourne. They got Jacoby Myers. They got Nelson Aguilar. They got the two tight ends. Those guys are good complementary weapons in the offense. What they need is a number one guy. They need their Stephon Diggs, their Jamar Chase, whatever analogy, whatever comparison you want to make. So I like some of these guys on day two. I like Mechie. I like Pickens. I like Sky Moore out of Western Michigan. But those guys, to me, are not instant difference makers like Olave can be. I would also say that the other consideration that I had was giving them a linebacker, obviously, in the first round. And it feels like the most popular most popular yeah. pick um, that you see repeatedly at that position is uh, Devin Lloyd. Yeah, um, so Devin Lloyd's a playmaker. Definitely can make a lot of plays near the ball. Explosive guy. Can play on the sec- first and second level of the defense. You can put him out in the line of scrimmage, have him rush the passer on third down, sub-package situations. You can have him play off the ball against the run or in coverage. You can have him blitz up the middle. He definitely has a lot of exciting traits about him as an athlete. What concerns me with a guy like Devin Lloyd, and the reason why I don't see Devin Lloyd as as big of a drop-off to Quay Walker, who's the linebacker from Georgia I took in the second round of my mock, is that Devin Lloyd doesn't necessarily play through contact or play through blocks the way that the Patriots are going to want their linebackers to do. He is a explosive player. He's a hard-hitting player. But for the most part, he's a finesse guy. He's not somebody that is going to take out the trash, as Dante Hightower used to say, and do the dirty work and take on blocks. He is an athlete that wants to be free to roam and free to make contact and be a heat-seeking missile. And I think a lot of times when you look at that, you say, oh, well, that's exactly what they need. It is if they have a true Mike that can be the guy that's going to be the sledgehammer. If they can have Devin Lloyd be the weak side backer who is the chaser, then they can have a guy like that, but they still need that Mike player. So when I look at it, I say, okay, I, I think Quay Walker, I think Christian Harris, for example, from Alabama, I think Chad Mumma from Wyoming, those guys to me are not that much worse than Devin Lloyd is as a prospect compared to, let's say, Chris Olave to a Sky Moore, George Pickens, those types of players. That to me is a more substantial drop off, which is why you I think from Olave from from Olave down to Pickens is a, is a substantial drop. I think from Olave to the guys that they could get with their second round pick at wide receiver, we're talking about a significant drop. The other thing that I would point out is the two Alabama guys are both coming off ACLs. And not only am I concerned about (laughs) the fact that they could re-injure themselves at the NFL level, because once you blow a knee out, it's very, very easy to re-injure your ACL. Even the other one could go, right? Because you're overcompensating on the other leg. So re-injury is a major concern. The other thing that I would say is a major concern is you're talking about a guy like Jamison Williams or John Mechie maybe getting on the field again at full speed in August, September, maybe October of next year. So as much as I love the familiarity for a guy like John Mechie with Mac Jones, I would be concerned about the fact that that player is basically lost for his rookie season because we know how the Patriots operate. We saw it with Nikhil Harry. We're talking about projecting that guy. And at the top of the draft this year for the Patriots, I don't think that they have the, I don't think they have the, the, the flexibility or they're in the position right now to say, we're going to draft a guy with our first round pick that we might not use until 2023. 
I just don't think that they're in that position as an organization right now to be drafting guys for two, three years down the road. They well, should that's be drafting what, guys for right now. So that's why I ask which which receivers that might be in that ballpark did you have already off the board in order for you to arrive at Olave? Like is Traylon Burks off the board at that point in your in your estimation? Traylon Burks other- scares me, right? Because as explosive, I think he's more explosive than Nikhil. Way definitely faster, definitely more explosive, definitely a guy that is gonna probably run low four fours, maybe even four threes, which at his size is unbelievable. But right. an extremely raw route runner and somebody that in college had a very, very low average depth of target because so many of his targets were behind the line of scrimmage. And I'm not talking about in like a Debo Samuel sense. I I just, a lot of screens, a lot of throws out into the flats and then a lot of go balls, right? You're either catching a high point fade down the field or you're getting a screen behind the line of scrimmage and you're trying to make something happen. So you have, so so where's Olave ranked for you? Like uh, uh, he is. Olave is my second receiver on the board. I think he's. Total, yeah. Behind London? Jamison Williams. Uh, behind Williams. What about the other guys like, you know, Wilson or? So I got it as, right now I got it at, going into the combine. Jamison Williams, number one. Huh. Alave, number two. Garrett Wilson, number three. A number four, Traylon Burks. And then five, I have it as Mechie. I think Drake London comes in at six. Drake London really? scares the, the heck out of me. I don't know how you draft a guy in today's NFL that can't run. It just, no. Would no, you no, not no. consider London to be the consensus top right, right now? That's, that's He's up there. He's up there. Six, I, let huh? him, I allow him to be somebody else's project. Like he's a really interesting player because he moves so well for six foot five, right? right. There's not a lot of guys that move that well at that height, but he's not, overly dense he's only like 210 215 so he's not a dense guy he's just tall and that really concerns me because i don't think he's mike evans was 230 pounds right he's not gonna muscle people right he was six five it's almost the nikhil thing you've got a big guy who doesn't play big even though nikhil has the frame he just doesn't play at that size very clinton scares the crap out of me for the patriots Traylon burks scares the crap out of me for the patriots love them love burks as a prospect I think he's going to be a good player someplace else. Right? So, so let me ask you this. If Olave is not there and Jamison Williams is not there, do you now skip, do you now bypass the position? I think at wide receiver, at, skip at that point at 21, the other guy that I would really consider at 21. So there's really four guys in my mind right now that the Patriots are to draft tomorrow that I would say, if you take one of these guys at 21, I'm good. And that is Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia, Andrew Boot Jr., the corner from Clemson, Chris Olave, and Devin Lloyd. Those four guys, I think, are players that I, if they take any of those four players at 21, I think they're great picks, right? Home run picks. Anybody else that they take at 21, I'm trading out of the pick. So I, I, that's it. That, that's the yeah. best value you're going to get is those guys. You're not taking yeah. another. Yeah, you're trading back and, and stacking. The way I view it is that everybody else that they could get at that spot, if it's not one of those four guys, and assuming all the other consensus guys are gone, Kobe Dean, all those types of players, if you're not going to get one of those four guys at 21, then you're getting into a tier of players that are all eventual NFL starters, but not instant stars, right? Not guys that you're drafting to be instant contributions to your football team. If you're going to get into that 
muddied area there of developmental two to three year starter type players that have high upside, then there's really no difference at that point of taking them at 21 versus taking them at 33 or 34 or whatever the case may be. So I'd much rather uh, trading back and having more that apple. Give me two second round picks at that point and maybe a third or a fourth to throw in there to try to get another one of these guys and just be stuck with Trevor Penning, the tackle from Northern Iowa, or someone like that. Kyler Gordon, who McShay took in his mock for the Patriots. I don't really see a difference, honestly, on tape between a guy like Kyler Gordon and a, and a guy like uh, Kier Elam from Florida. I think you get Kieran Elam 15 picks later. So what's the point in taking oh. Kyler Gordon at 21? No, I, I mean, it makes sense, but obviously there's, you know, there's nothing that drives fans more crazy than watching people trading out of spots. This is the year to trade back. If they can't get one of those premium talents. I know, but no matter what, Evan, you know how this goes. It gets to 21 and there's a bunch of Burks backers out there and he's still out yeah. there and everybody's freaking out. Take him! And yeah. they trade back. Uh, you know, it'll be what it'll be. So let's just hold the line here. Let's say Olave falls to them at 21. Yeah. Day two picks, you have Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia, uh, with the second round pick, and you have uh, a cornerback out of Alabama, Josh Joby. Josh Job, yeah. Could so- be Job. Job, Job Bluth. No, we're going Joby. Um, so those are the two uh, players there. And again, these yeah. are also need picks. The, yeah. I, the, the thought that the Patriots would draft three players in their first three picks that fill three of their greatest needs is a little pie in the sky. You know, there's going to be at least like one running back or something, uh, you know, in here, that's going to just be like, what, but uh, these would be, you know, at least positionally speaking uh, the, the right type of fit. What, what, what is it about the players you like? So start with Quay Walker, who I think is pretty much, got everything that Devin Lloyd has besides maybe the on-ball pass rushing ability in terms of Devin Lloyd can stand up at the end of the line of scrimmage like Matthew Judon and be a rush linebacker on third down. I don't know if Quay Walker has that in his bag or has that ability, but at 6'3", 240 pounds, Quay Walker is big and he can move, right? And and we're not talking about a, a Juwan Bentley plotter with Quay Walker. We're talking about an athlete with Quay. You look at anybody – on that Georgia defense, all those guys fly. Nobody on Georgia was slow last year, besides maybe Jordan Davis, who made up with it with being 400 pounds, right? So nobody is slow on that Georgia second and third level of that defense. I look at a guy like Quay Walker, and I see somebody that is that athletic linebacker that can go sideline to sideline, that can drop into coverage. At times at Georgia, they would move him out over the slot or out detached from the formation a little bit outside the box, allow him to be an athlete out there on in space, on tight ends, on slot receivers, things like that. He can play all of those types of uh, weak move linebacker type roles that you want, that the Patriots and every Patriots fan wants, speed, speed, speed at the second level. Quay Walker is it. The guy that I see, maybe not as big as Jamie Collins, but I think there's a lot of Jamie Collins in his game, right? Length, athleticism, freakish, freakish athleticism. This guy is going to absolutely murder the combine next week. I think that he's everything that you would want in that position, in that pick. Plus at six foot three, 240, maybe you get him up to 245 once you get him in the building. He's still got some sand in the pants, and he's still got some length to be able to press blocks, get his hands into people, and create some separation and get off some blocks when they're, they are asking him to shed and stack in the trenches. So a, a really a, a lot to like 
uh, about Quay Walker. And this is another one of those picks too, where I look at it and I say, if they can just draft anybody from that Georgia defense, I'm taking them. That was one of the best defenses in the last two decades in college football. I think anybody from that defense, with whether it's at the first level with Davis or Wyatt or Walker, the other Walker, Trevon Walker, Quay Walker, Tyndall, Dean, Louis Seen in the back end, just get somebody from the Georgia defense. It really doesn't matter who it is. I like Quay Walker personally, so that's why I took him. But anybody from that Georgia defense is good with me. That You just can't go wrong with picking off a of defense and it goes 8, 9, 10 deep with NFL prospects. Josh Job. Josh Job, cornerback from Alabama, third-round pick, definitely has some flaws, not a perfect player by any means, grabby, has some penalties, but when you watch him play press man coverage, the guy beats people up. He's a massive corner. He's got great physical tools to be able to play press man, and he can really bring it in his jam and in the initial parts of the route to really get into guys and really press guys at the line of scrimmage and make it difficult for them to get off the route. So you'd look about pairing him with a guy like J.C. Jackson. What I like about it is that when you go up against a Mike Williams, you go up against a Corey Davis, when you go up against some of these bigger X receivers that are going to play on the outside, Job is like a Brandon Browner, right? He, you can just put him out there. You can have him beat up people and you can have him go up and win at the catch point and contested catch situations, high point fades, things like that. You absolutely have to think about managing that player though. Like he can't, you can't put Josh Job on, Jalen Waddle, like when you play Miami, you can't put him on Elijah Moore when you play the Jets. You can't put him on Diggs when you pay Buffalo. But when you play Buffalo, you can put him on Gabe Davis, right? Or you could put him potentially on Dawson Knox when he's detached from the formation. So somebody that will have to be managed in his role, managed with his matchups. But if you get him in the right matchups, I think that he's going to be a really productive man coverage corner for you. John, you're muted. Oh, sorry. We're going to skip down the draft. A couple uh, couple picks here you have in the fourth round. Um, you've got uh, John Ridgeway, D-tackle, Arkansas, and then you dip back into the receiver pool. So if yes. you're going to get any 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 defensive player from Georgia, any receiver from Alabama will do. You've got Slade Bolden in round six. Can you can you draft a receiver this late and, 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 and have him stick? Yeah, I do think you can with Slade Bolden because he's a very typecast receiver. I hate the Julian Edelman comparison because I think Julian Edelman is Julian Edelman and deserves more credit for just every frisky, quick, agile, white slot receiver to get compared to Julian Edelman all the time is just unfair, right? But I do see the suddenness. I see the footwork. I see the ability to get in and out of routes that is always productive here in the Patriots system. And when I look at where the Patriots fit at wide receiver right now. You have guys like Nikhil Harry, Gunnar Olszewski is a restricted free agent. Slade Bolden, to me, is somebody that could definitely make your top five on your roster. He can return kicks. He's a better wide receiver right now than Gunnar is. So I look at it and I say Olave is coming in. He's taking not necessarily Nikhil Harry's role, but he's taking Nikhil Harry's roster spot, right? They're Harry out, Olave in. Gunner out, Slade Bolden in, in my opinion. And I think you're going to get close to the same production in the return game from a guy like Slade Bolden and a better receiver potential with Slade Bolden than Gunner. I would also have to mention, we talk about John Mechie a lot in terms of the connection with Mac Jones. 
Slade Bolden and Mac Jones were like this at Alabama, right? Really two guys that were really, really close with one another. Uh, they both wanted to play together, uh, both in the college game and in the pros. I believe that they lived together, were college roommates for a time period too, and Mac was at Alabama. So a Mac guy, uh, just a guy that I think would, Mac would be really psyched to have on his team and have uh, as a teammate again with Slade. Round six and seven, Andrew Stuber. Is it Stuber or Stoiber? Stuber. Stuber out of Michigan. And yeah. uh, you grabbed a running back. Always got to find a running back. CJ Verdell out of Oregon. Um, more of a receiving type back. And again, you're not expecting to hit with these picks here, but in Evans' mock draft, he's only picking players he thinks has a chance of making the team. So right. again, you're looking at what ha- life after James White, I don't think they've got it on the roster right now. So that is a, that is an area you're going to need to replace at some point. Yes. So you look at the Stuber from Michigan first, first of all, they hit a home run. We, we all think at least with Michael and Wenu from Michigan, right? Same program, same coaching staff. You grab another big, there's a tackle prospect on when was looked at as an interior offensive line prospect. Stuber plays right tackle for Michigan. He's 6'4", 6'5", 330 pounds. A big, big, big boy. Really moved people off the line of scrimmage. That's the type of guy that in the past, you know, Trent Brown, Michael Onwenu, these types of players, the Patriots developed those guys pretty well. They, they do a good job now. If Matt Patricia's coaching the offensive line, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's going to be the same, uh, you know, type of development. But they usually do pretty well. Uh, with those big tackles, with the big offensive linemen, and getting their team technique sound enough and their foot speed sound enough with the hills and all that kind of stuff with their conditioning program to get something out of those guys. So I, I like Stuber. I like C.J. Verdell from Oregon. I think the one thing that you have to look at with the running back position is you got to start talking about the next James White. Who's the receiving back of the future? You know they have the early down back roll covered with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, but who's the next guy to be on third down, to be in the passing game? Verdell, really good lateral quickness, really good balance, uh, catches the ball, doesn't fight it, is a, somebody that looks like a natural in the receiving game, natural in space with the football in his hands. To me, that's another one of those picks that you got to look down the road a year or two and say – okay, we need somebody that is going to be the next James White. I think C.J. Verdell's got that kind of potential. Might go a little bit earlier than the seventh round, depending on how he uh, works out here in the circuit. But I think that they might be able to get him there. All right. So that's Mock Draft 1.0. When's the next one due? Uh, We'll do one after the combine, maybe. We're going to start doing them here on Patriots Beat with Alex uh, live hopefully as soon as after the combine and we'll talk about all the players. Everybody always says, well, what about this guy? Well, what about that guy? We'll, we'll get to all of mention as much uh, as draft prospects as we can, right? Yep. As many as we can uh, over the next couple of months. And, and we'll talk at nauseum about all these types of things. So I didn't forget about a guy I did. I'm not sleeping on anybody, just only so many names that we can go over in one right. mock draft and in one show. So right. uh, we'll definitely get to pretty much everybody that the Patriots are going to pick at 21. I would hope that we mention everybody in the guy that they actually end up picking at 21 on the show at some point in the next couple of months. Right. Um, so uh, before we wrap, I do want to point out a couple of things. Now, obviously you need players and that's why everyone's excited about the draft. Uh, but I do think, and I know you and Alex have talked about it a bit and it's been a story that's been kind of lingering is the Patriots coaching situation. Each day that yeah. passes, 
you're kind of waiting for another shoe to drop. I think there's a vibe, you know, with Patriots fans in general, like Bill's got it right. Like he's, he's not going to just go into the season with this. It is definitely troubling and it's hard to cast judgment now because, you know, you know, picks up the phone, calls Alabama, talks to Nick, Bill O'Brien walks in the door tomorrow. And you're like, okay, whew, you feel better yeah. and everything trickles down into place. But What's interesting now is this idea of just, we'll just do more with less. You know, we'll figure out what we've got here and we'll just put people places and hope everything works out. And I'm kind of freaked out by it. And I think there's quite a few people who are a little bit panicked. And it's really interesting to me in the last week, you've had Scott Zolak, who's definitely plugged in, talks to some people there, has an idea what may or may not be happening. Then you got Albert Breer today, both with a completely different thought train of thought on who's going to do what on this team. And the fact that it's just kind of like just blindly throwing darts is what, what really messes with me here. So again, everybody knows the situation. Now Patriots have lost. You lose McDaniels, you lose your old line coach, you lose receivers, coach Lombardi, you lose your quarterbacks coach. You bring in Joe judge, Joe judge. Okay. And then you move pieces around that are already here. So now let's go. Let, let's let's go with the two lists, okay? Zolak a week ago believed no offensive coordinator. Bill Belichick kind of is the primary influence there. The play caller, the game day play caller, would be Matt Patricia. The quarterbacks coach Nick Cayley, formerly the tight ends coach. Receivers coach Troy Brown, I think everybody understands that that's very likely, though Joe Judge has worked with receivers before. He has Judge working with tight ends, uh, Sanceri working with running backs, uh, Patricia and Billy Yates handling the OL. Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator. We've got him now handling multiple roles on offense, including play calling, okay? Right. And, and Breer has quarterbacks, Joe Judge. Yeah. Okay. So you're handing over by far your most important asset in we'll both there. scenarios here to okay. two flameouts in a, who left to go somewhere else, failed miserably, and came back here to do things that is outside of their purview and their specialty, which is stunning to me. Again, Kaylee, I think, is the guy who has the most momentum in-house to take on a larger role that people might feel good about. Breer has him as the tight end coaches slash play caller, Brown, Sanceri, and then it's Patricia and Billy Yates with the O-line. So there is some similarity there. But this notion that Judge or Patricia are going to be in charge of things pertaining to, like, to Mac Jones' year two development doesn't seem right, does it? So uh, I'll give you my purview of what I think this is going to look like. Yes. In my opinion, I completely understand the reservations, the concern with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia's involvement with Mac Jones's development in the play calling on offense. I don't want either one of those guys anywhere near either one of those things. The one thing that I continue to come back to, and the reason why we get there, is because, quite frankly, Steve is calling the plays on defense, right? Steve Belichick. And this – that's it's not nepotism, but it's it's kind of loosely nepotism, right? Because Patricia and Judge are, are Bill's prodigal sons. Like, they might as well be his sons, right? Like, they might as well be connected to Bill Belichick. So, in that sense, 
giving them that responsibility feels a lot like giving Steve Belichick a lot of responsibility because those are his guys. Those are his dudes. But Nick Kelly and Troy Brown, I think, are two rising stars in the organization. I think Nick Kelly in particular is somebody that could be an OC play caller here down the road for the Patriots. And those guys are unproven. And what I, I think that is the most important thing, I tweeted this out last night, was Josh McDaniels's coaching resume before he became the play caller for the Patriots in 2005 when Charlie Weiss left for Notre Dame. Now, that was with Tom Brady, who had already won three Super Bowls. I get all of that. But if you look at Josh McDaniels, he was a defensive assistant, then the quarterback's coach, and the quarterback's coach slash play caller in year four. Not exactly a decades-long resume to evolve to that role. So when I look at guys like Nick Cayley and I look at guys like Troy Brown, I don't see much of a difference with putting that responsibility in those guys' hands as when they did with Josh McDaniels in 2005. So in that respect, I think that Cayley and Brown at least are some new blood, are at least some potential up-and-comers. And thirdly, I would say are we don't know if they're going to fail yet. So let's not say that Nick Cayley and Troy Brown are going to fail without knowing that they're first going to fail, right? You can sit there and say that Joe Judge might fail or Matt Patricia might fail because we know and we've seen that, but you're a nobody until you're a somebody with guys like Cayley and Troy Brown in terms of coaching. Obviously, Troy Brown's a, a not a nobody when it comes to his playing days. Quarterbacks, the quarterbacks coach for the Patriots, and I, I will sit look in the camera and say this, the quarterback's coach for the New England Patriots in 2022 is going to be Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is going to coach Mac Jones next year. Bill already has a hands-on responsibility with Mac Jones to begin with, even when Josh McDaniels was here, even when Tom Brady was here. Tuesdays with Bill, right? A big part of their entire week preparation sure. for an opponent. Bill Belichick might not be there when we get out there in training camp in July, we might not see him going through drills during positional drills with Mac Jones. And he might not be the guy with the headset on calling plays like Josh McDaniels was for the offense. But when everybody is gone and it's just Bill and it's just Mac behind the scenes, Bill is going to coach Mac Jones. I know. And that I, so it sounds good on paper to have the greatest coach of all time, giving his extra special love and attention to the most important right. player on the team right now, which yeah. Mac Jones undoubtedly is. is. This however, is not that crazy. Like this is however, not that different from how you've things have got, you've lost your, you've lost your OC. He doesn't have yes. faith to name a defensive coordinator in any of those guys. The defense really struggled last year. Um, you know, and it really only righted itself when Bill stuck his nose in and then kind of pulled back out again. Um, you've got, Special teams, which was as bad as it's been in a long time, a really like a receiver group that needs a lot of help and a lot of work. You're now two years past Dante Scarnecchia's retirement. There's too many things that require attention that someone like Bill needs to oversee all of to make sure that these green positional coaches are doing what they're supposed to be doing. He cannot be singularly focused on one thing even if that's great for that one particular player and that's what I'm not saying it's the best course of action I'm saying it's where we're at at this point and I think the fact is is that 
Belichick, as much as you can sit here and say he's a defensive-minded coach, has really been coaching quarterbacks for a very, very long time in New England. Of course. You, you can go back and listen to some of the things that Dean Pease has said about his time with the Patriots. And Bill doesn't spend a whole lot of time with the defensive staff most of the time, right? He's in the quarterbacks here. Go out and listen to all the things that Cam Newton, who has spoke a lot more openly about the process, I would say, than a rookie Mac Jones or Tom Brady would, right? Cam would talk about it, how much he would talk to Bill about the opponent, about what the defensive scheme was that they're going up against and coaching him on what to expect and what to prepare for and what to look for, all those kinds of things. This is not much different than what the status quo has been around here with Bill Belichick for 20 years to have Bill be hands-on with the quarterback. No, He's and I get it. Like, Bill can do everything. Bill's like Prince, you know? He can play, like, tw 12 instruments. Like, Bill right. would be the best OC and tight ends coach and quarterbacks coach and everything on this team. It's great. He can do everything. Uh, it's just his attention needs to be multiple places. But the bigger issue with Bill is kind of this notion that, in, and I'm sure you've discussed it, but this is what always worries me here. That quote, you know, that he gave through Urban Meyer about he's reached a point in his career where he only wants to coach certain type of players. It's starting to kind of bleed into coaching as well, which is, you know, I kind of really only want to be around people I want to be around. I don't want to go hire some guy I don't know. I don't want to bring somebody in here. So we'll just kind of figure it out. And right. I, I'm sorry, like we are now three years. We're, we're, I think you have to look past in Bill we trust at this point and say, you know, is Bill coaching based off of what he thinks? Would the old Bill have allowed his coaching staff to be absolutely pillaged like this without – backup plans or other things or you know would he not be on the horn to no, o'brien in 10 seconds we, before we jump off the bridge right i what i come back to is is that if belichick is going to allow nick Kelly and troy brown to take over the offense and nick Kelly to call the plays and then bill's going to be more involved with the quarterback i am perfectly fine with that strategy because that is the way that they have operated they have promoted from within they have replaced by promoting guys and giving guys that have earned their stripes the responsibilities when guys leave right when josh mcdaniels leaves it becomes bill o'brien when mcdaniels leaves this time it becomes nick Cayley. right that's the way that this operation has worked for 20 years the problem that i would have is if all of a sudden josh mcdaniels leaves and belichick's going to give play calling duties to matt patricia no 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 like that's, that's, but that's what I'm saying is like, there's no, or if this it's is going to be Joe judge, right? If we go down that direction, then I have no problem whatsoever being critical of that decision from a coaching staff standpoint with bill. But what I'm waiting for is let's get to the point when Nick Cayley or Troy Brown isn't calling the plays, isn't running the quarterback, then we can start to be critical of Belichick. I know it feels like the judge and Patricia are going to be the guys because of the way they are set up on defense. It feels the exact same way that it does when Steve calls the plays every week defensively. I get that. But until we get to that point, I'm willing to give him at least the benefit of the doubt here in the off season that they're going to do the right thing. And they're going to give the coach like Nick Cayley, who I think is somebody that they have in very, very high regard there. There's a reason why he did not let Josh McDaniels take Nick Cayley with him to Las Vegas, right? There's a reason why Mick Lombardi went to Vegas and not Cayley. He's also a John Carroll university guy. Same as Nick uh, Casario, same as Josh McDaniels, right? That's the Patriots pipeline from a coaching standpoint. So 
let's give it a chance. Let's see what it goes first, and then let's move on and, and be critical. If Joe Judge is the one with the headset or Matt Patricia is the one with the headset calling the offensive plays in week one, then we can have our – our moment to, to freak Again, out. At Bill Belichick. It's not oh, critical. You're just assessing at this moment in time. And I prefaced all of this by saying the trickle down effect of him going in there and pulling in like an O'Brien, bringing in O'Brien and Gase. you didn't bring in O'Brien because he didn't want to take him from Nick Saban. We right? understand. Yeah. If theoretically that's the presumption is right. that Nick Saban's the one that kind of, you know, they've, they've talked about this openly. It's okay. When coaches leave, you just don't want them to, and they pillage your staffs. This right. is different. This is not how this is a, I really think I need Obi. Does he want to go? They respect each other and O'Brien enough to let O'Brien decide what he wants to do. Not you think Nick Saban, if he walked in and said, Obi, do you want this Pat's gig? If he called and he said, yeah, I do. You think he wouldn't be the one who calls yeah. bill? Of course. I, I, think they would I don't do think that. this is something that's, I don't think this, I is think this has already thing. been discussed though. And this ship has sailed with bill O'Brien. But I, I would say this about Bill O'Brien. His contract at Alabama expires after this season. He signed a two-year deal when he signed on with Alabama. We could be in a position where if this doesn't go well this year with Mac Jones and with this setup that they have on offense, which all of signs point to the fact that this is probably not going to go particularly well, then maybe Bill O'Brien gets back into the conversation as a free agent in the coaching world next off season when his contract expires from Alabama, things are a little less complicated with pulling him out of, out of Alabama to come here and be the OC. But again, I, I, I want to see it be Kaylee. I want to see it be Troy Brown. If you want to do what you do on defense with Steve and Gerard Mayo and have Kaylee call the plays, but have Troy have a huge influence in the way that they structure things. I'm good with that too. Just don't, go the nepotism route of giving all the responsibility to Patricia and judge, right? That's really where I'm at. And I would also talk about from an offensive line standpoint, I talked to a lot of the Patriots offensive linemen. I like offensive linemen and they know it. They like me back. Billy Yates is a guy they all love, right? They love Billy Yates. They think that he can coach. They think that he's going to be a good coach down the road. I don't know if he's ready to run the room by himself, but you have guys in there like David Andrews who are, season vet Shaq Mason uh, on when he's played a lot of football for them. Obviously, if you bring Isaiah Wynn back, he's played a lot of football for them. So it's not a young group. It's not a group that needs a whole lot of coaching in that system. I'd love to see Billy Yates be, have the true hands-on in the trenches. Type yeah. And again, I'm not by any means, you know, making a judgment at this moment because you don't know how it's going to play out. But just right. a lot of what we've seen from Bill over the past few years has been more about comfort uh, and more about what works for him than what yeah. may necessarily work best here. And that involves trades. I'm going to call the guy I know, say I want to make a deal. If I the offer's okay, I'll take it instead of shopping it around. And we've seen it happen and say, oh my God, I could have gotten so much more for that. You see it with a draft process. Yeah, I know you scouts went everywhere, but I know this coach and he likes the guy and I'm just going to go in that direction. Yeah. A lot of it is comfort and trust. Okay. And, and, and it's really, it's now rearing its head here with this coaching situation and a massive you know, attrition just, and, brain, the, and brain drain. You know? of, well, and, I, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. The only reason why I'm saying the things that I'm saying is to be a little bit more optimistic than the doom and gloom. But with Bill O'Brien, 
that's really the only hire that they had to make. That was the only card he had to play, right? Was to bring Bill O'Brien back to be the or or one of these other guys would have no or value the guys who left enough to give them some trumped up promotions, put somebody in the OC role, give somebody something else. I I like to hope they've done that before. They've done that, yeah. Right. The, the, the route that scares everybody, and me included, like I keep saying, is if they are just going to give this responsibility to Joe Judge just because he's a guy that's been around that Bill Belichick likes, right? Just just because, like you're saying, just a, a, a comfort pick. I know him. I trust him. Right. Sure. Sure. Let's let him run the offense. No. This has to be Nick Cayley, Troy Brown. Those guys have earned the right to give it a go, right? They've yeah. earned the right to have – Play calling duties. They've earned the right to see if they can do uh, uh, have more responsibility, take on an offensive coordinator like role, yeah. and, and that's the way that this thing should go. Right. If, like I said, if it goes belly up, then Bill O'Brien's a free agent next year. His contract expires from Alabama. Then you call Nick Saban and say, "Look, I I really need Billy. Right? Like we're gonna we really need Billy here." And you go and you get Bill O'Brien back. But until then, this is what they're rolling with, and it's it's not it's concerning. Like there's no positive spin especially with Mac Jones going into his second year. And then you also factor in that they're probably going to add a receiver, another one. And you have these guys coming back from their second year in the system after their first seasons last year from the free agent class. This is, as I what's it, DEFCON 5 is the worst one, one right? One is bad. No, one is bad. One is bad, right. So this is like DEFCON 2 or 3, right? I'm not at one yet, but I'm pretty darn Okay, high. okay, okay. Yeah, maybe I'm just louder. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of like <laughs> where my concern is with the Patriots right now, uh, Bedard said this on his podcast, and I, I, I think it's to- totally true. This is as concerned if I, as I've been with the direction of the team since I, be, you know, ever. Before. Yeah. Like, like right. literally, what are we doing here? Yeah. Right. What's yeah. going on? Right. That's yeah. the thing is like, it has been so, it's been a great comfort, you know, as uh, you know, as a, uh, uh, you know, as a follower of the team, you know, uh, you know, from a fan perspective, but even from a media narrative, it's always been so interesting where, you know, we went through so many cycles of, you know, screaming, what is Bill doing? What is Bill yeah. doing? And then had it be obviously clear that he knew what he was doing and everybody was wrong. And how many times did that happen? I mean, you're talking about going back to lawyer Malloy, you know, right. uh, and, and, and I mean, every single thing that he did year after year, after year, after year, this is the worst decision ever. This is going to doom the franchise. And nope, it turned out to be fine there. It was, he was, it was a very chess and checker scenario. I don't feel that right now. You no. wonder, you know, we you still got it like do you have you know you know what's going on here or you're just kind of you know playing it as it lies or reacting to situations and not you know being proactive as uh, you know uh as he once was so it is concerning um i do think that josh mcdaniel's hire took them a little bit by surprise i i that's what i I mean yeah i i do think that josh leaving as quickly and just the fact that one year with mac jones and out I don't think that that was the way that they thought things were going to go with Josh McDaniels. McDaniels got the Raiders offer. He felt like as from an organization, from a roster standpoint, this was too good to pass up for him as his next try at being a head coach. But based off of how they operated last off season and in the draft, those guys, McDaniels was a huge part of the decision-making process with drafting Mac Jones, drafting, uh, signing the free agents that they signed. Like he was right there with Belichick every step of the way, giving input. I don't think they thought that Josh McDaniels was running 
after one year uh, of this operation that they put together together, essentially on the offensive side of the football. Obviously you have, you know, that Josh McDaniels is a good coach and if the right opportunity comes along, you're not going to say no to him being a head coach elsewhere. But I, I don't know if this one was a hundred percent something that they saw coming. No, no, clearly not. And the fact that Josh kind of raided the liquor cabinet on the way out the door as well, kind of speaks to what was going on probably, yeah. which was, you know, he wanted an out. It just had to be the right one. And as soon as he saw it, he took it. And, and that was that. So yeah, caught a little bit off guard, but what I don't like is that look, it happens. Then you scramble. What you don't right. do is just kind of shrug your shoulders and be like, whatever. And it, it feels like there's a little of that right now. And I think it's concerning to you and me. I think fans are a little freaked out. Yeah. Uh, the coaching stuff is doesn't resonate the same way as losing players. So I think you yeah. know the level of panic isn't that high, but it is definitely, uh, we'll see what happens. If the O'Brien ship has indeed sailed, um, then you're going to hope you're going to have to hope Kaylee and Brown and those guys know what they're doing and judge and Patricia are put in positions where they can't do a lot of damage, I guess. Um, but, right. <laughs> but, but we'll see more advisory rather than like hands-on, but um, right. you know, I don't want either of those guys calling plays. Uh, that's going to wrap it for us. Evan, I don't know. Are you back? Are we back this week? Maybe. Yes. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll do another Q and a, I'm sure we'll talk about all this stuff that we keep talking about, but really excited for next week combine. Finally, some like actual things to talk about and not uh, things that are just imaginary. Hopefully we, we can discuss uh, what we actually see out at the combine here at the combine, that type of thing. But yeah, Thursday Q and a, Next week, full court press on the combine. It'll be a lot of fun. And just letting people know, we will once again have our intrepid reporter, Mike Petralia, on the ground. He will be at the combine um, doing work for CLNS Media. He's there covering the Bengals um, on the Bengals beat, but he's also keeping an eye and keeping tabs on the Patriots and will bring us um, any and all Patriots-related news next week so you can catch all of that at CLNS Media over on our YouTube channels and at clnsmedia.com. Maybe he pops on one of these shows who knows um but again trags is everywhere so uh these guys back on thursday hopefully with alex uh once again john zanis pinch hitting here evan lazar as always patriots beat make sure you follow evan on twitter and check out all of his stuff at clnsmedia.com this has been the patriots beat podcast exclusively here on the clns media network